The following audio is from Community Bible Church in Nashville, Tennessee. For more information about our church, please visit us online at cbcnashville.org. You can be seated. If you want to, you can find your way to John chapter 6. Ryan mentioned earlier that, you know, for, for some of us, we might be going to be able to sing some of the songs today and just life is good right now. There's just so, so much uh, good that we see. God's faithfulness is clear to us and we are enjoying uh, his, his grace in our lives and just excited about what is happening in your life. And then for others, there's a heavier burden uh, on our hearts as we are maybe struggling just with various things. And maybe, like I said earlier, just struggling with keeping up with life, struggling with life, uh, just the decisions that we have to make in life, wondering what tomorrow is going to look like. I'm in that place. I'm feeling more burdened today. I've been feeling more burdened as of late. We, we hear things like what's going on in Sri Lanka. Um, this morning I found out about the death of uh, one of the women who worked at the seminary that I go to. Uh, fought a short, a short battle with cancer. Um, she's the wife of one of my professors, and there just been a, throughout that pain, have been so faithful in pointing to Christ, so faithful in uh, pointing to his faithfulness to them. Through, just through the pain and the sorrow, um, they continue to, continue to look to Christ, continue to praise him. So, It's just, quite frankly, a flood of things in my mind. And it happens to be that I get to, to preach uh, a passage uh, that is one of my favorite, contains one of my favorite verses, and it's for this very reason. I'll, I'll go ahead and spoil it now. When Peter tells Christ, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have words of eternal life. Isn't that a cry of a believer? That when we don't understand what is going on in life, when we are just reminded of the pains and the sorrows of life, we have nowhere, nowhere else we'd rather go but to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Let me pray and, and we will dig into the context of, of Peter's confession. Father, we praise you for your faithfulness to us. We praise you for your love for us. We praise you for who you are, that you, being God Almighty, that you even created us so that we could be 
people made in your likeness, made in your image to glorify you and enjoy you, that you have given us the words of life, eternal life. So, Father, I, in just remembering your faithfulness to us and just through the, the sorrows and, and hardships of life, the burdens of life, we, we confess along with Peter, where else do we have to go but to you? You have the words of eternal life. This is why we are to gather together here because we want to open your word. We want to open the, your revelation to us about yourself to see those words of eternal life. Father, I pray for Sri Lanka. I pray that you would strengthen your church there as they are feeling that burden in intense ways right now. Father, I pray for the Curdo family as they are mourning the loss of a wife and mother and grandmother. I pray that you would strengthen them this morning especially. that you would help them to remember your faithfulness and help them to rejoice and that she is no longer suffering as she has been, but is home, is face to face with her Savior and looking forward to the glorious resurrection. And to hear those words, behold, I am making all things new. Just strengthen us, Father. Help us as we come to your word to be able to see them as the very words of life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. John chapter 6. I'm going to be covering the last handful of verses, but I want to start just for context by uh, starting with verse 52. John chapter 6, verse 52. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. My flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. No, whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life the flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For 
Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, did I not choose you, the 12? And yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the 12, was going to betray him. As we look at the response of the people in this passage, I think it's important for us to remember some of the events that have led up, led up to this sermon where so many disciples walk away. In chapter 5, we had seen Christ testify of the various witnesses that, that witness to him being the Son of God. He spoke of John the Baptist. This is John who declared when he saw Christ, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He gave the witness of his works, not only his miracles, but his, his work of redemption. He spoke of the witness of his father and how his father witnesses through the scriptures of who Christ is. Then Christ fed 5,000 people from five barley loaves and two fish and 12 baskets of leftovers remained. The, script, the passage says that they ate their fill. They were so satisfied and so pleased with the miracle that they then decided, as Christ knew, they were about to come and, and by force make him king. If this guy can fill our bellies, well, let's raise him up to be the king. Then we have this kind of interlude between the subject of bread, of Christ walking on the water, meeting his disciples in the, in the middle of Galilee as they're struggling against the wind. It says they, they're immediately on the other side. Well, it mentions, John mentions that the, the crowd that had been fed, they, know, they knew the disciples left in the one boat that was on shore. And John draws our attention to that, that they noticed there was kind of no other way for Jesus to pass along to the other shore. And yet that's, as they go to try to chase him down, they find him on the other shore. Christ says this to them, uh, chapter 6, verse 26, as they found him on the shore, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. 
Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing, uh, to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God. You want to know the work of God? That you believe in him whom he has sent. And I think showing the lack of belief in verse 30, they say, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? <sighs> You've got to be kidding me, right? They have just sat down and watched him tear apart five loaves of bread and two fish, and they ate till their bellies were full. They ate till they were fully satisfied. And not only that, but there are 12 baskets left over. They witnessed that somehow, miraculously, he has crossed the sea and is now on the other side. And he says, you want to know the work of God? Just believe, believe. And they ask, well, what sign then do you show us? So then he goes on about this hard teaching about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. And in verse 60, after he spoke in these ways, it says, many of his disciples heard it. And they said, this is a hard saying. Who can hear it? It's, it's saying this is, it's not just that it's a difficult saying, it's that they were offended. It's, an, it's kind of an offensive saying. That's what they're like, who, who can hear this? Who can listen to this? They were offended. And it's interesting that John uses the word disciples here. As he's going along, he's talking about uh, the crowds. He's talking about the Jews. And then all of a sudden he comes to this passage and he says, the disciples. And he's not talking about the 12, because he makes that distinction later on in our passage where he, he turns and addresses the 12 disciples He's talking about a large group of people who have been following him, disciples, pupils, people who've been hanging on his words, people who've been filling their bellies. But John uses the word disciples. Even his disciples say, this, this, this is an offensive saying. And Christ tells them, Verse 61 says, Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? You see, in this conversation about bread and, and eating his flesh and drinking his blood, in verse 41, it says that the Jews grumbled about him, that he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I've come down from heaven? Well, Christ is saying, you question me. You question what I'm saying. That you need to eat my flesh and drink my blood. All, you have all these doubts and all of a sudden you're grumbling in your heart saying this is an offensive saying. But if you knew who I was, if you saw me in all my glory, would you be grumbling in your heart? You, you perceive me as the son of Joseph. You, see me, you perceive me in my flesh. 
if you could only see what everything has witnessed about me that you should know without that veil being opened and and displaying all my glory, the very thing you should know by the very testimony of Scripture and the works that he has accomplished, you should know that I am the Son of God. To use the, the words that John has used in his gospel, I am the word who was from the beginning. I am the word who was with God. I am the word who is God. I am the life-giving word. If you just perceived me like that, then you'd probably understand that there is no value in eating my flesh. You're not quite fully understand, understanding what I'm talking about. It reminds me of Christ's conversation in chapter 3 with Nicodemus, where Nicodemus is asking these questions, oh, how can you be born again? And, and Christ says, are you, are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? You see, the Jewish people have been, we have the word of God, and we get to read the words and see the, the glories of our Redeemer displayed in them. Like, Wow. These things are pointing to Christ. Well, the Jewish people throughout their long history lived these words. They lived through it. So when we think about the time that this is taking place, as the the beginning of chapter 6 states this is taking place at the time of the Passover, this whole idea of eating flesh and participation with a sacrifice should have been more clear. The Passover language... Turn with me to Exodus 12. As we see the instructions that God gave regarding this, the Passover meal. Just for context, it's the people of Israel having been enslaved in Egypt. The Egyptians have seen plague after plague after plague, and now comes the Passover Beginning in verse 4, 5, as he describes the lamb, he says, Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and yes, you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat it. You see, the idea, and you see this throughout the sacrificial system, is a participation with the sacrifice. Because what's happening is an animal is dying in their place. What happened the night of the Passover was this lamb or goat died. And they put the blood on the doorpost as a symbol of death, because the scripture teaches life is in the blood. So they painted the doorpost, and the angel of the Lord passed over the land. And if the, the blood was on the doorpost, that house was spared. So as they sit down inside their homes, knowing that the blood is on the doorposts, and they are now eating this lamb or goat that they just killed, 
They are eating the very sacrifice that gave its life so that they didn't have to die. It is a participation. If there's any picture to show kind of a union or participation, it's this, eating it. This animal died so that I don't have to die. First Corinthians, Paul, Paul draws attention to this participation. First Corinthians chapter 10. Verses 14 uh, through 22, Paul writes, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a, not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread... We who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Consider the people of Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar? What do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything or that an idol is anything? No. I imply that what pagan sacrifice they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to, to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? You see, what's, what's happening in, in Corinth is you have believers living double lives, thinking that they can dip a toe in this part of life and dip a toe in that part of life and just kind of be happy with adding a little Jesus to it. I can go to the temple and participate in the worship of this false God. And then I can come in and sit down and partake with my brothers and sisters in the Lord with a communion of the Lord's Supper. Paul says, you can't, you can't participate in food sacrifice idols. You can't participate in just giving over to sin and serving sin and participate with Christ. The reason we have the sacrament of communion of the Lord's suppers, we are eating just like, just like the people of Israel ate the Passover lamb. We are recognizing our, our union, our participation in the, the body and the blood of Christ. But this must be received by faith. This participation is not merely, not merely just going through the motions, but it's believing. It's having faith. It's not a work. It's a gracious gift. This is why Christ says in verse 65, back in John, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. Because he's saying these things and these disciples are fighting against it. Like, what do, is this man saying? Who does he think he is? I don't understand what he's saying. It's offensive to me. 
And after saying that no one can come to him unless it is granted to him by the Father, it says, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. I think it's Calvin in his commentary on John said that we, we might look at that and think, wow, what a failed sermon. That was probably a sermon that should not have been preached. Because so many people, most commentaries agree, and when he turns to his 12, it's basically the 12 that are left. That most, many of these thousands of people who probably have been following him along with their full bellies, bailed. They left. They walked away and no longer followed him. So was Christ's message, was Christ's sermon divisive? Was he purposely being offensive to chase him away? No. The message of the gospel is not offensive. The message of the gospel, when it's received by faith, is sweet. It is life-giving. It breathes new life into us so that we can, even in these dark days and, and burden, of, burden of life, we can say, no, those are the very words of life. The message of the gospel is not offensive, especially when we realize that we need saving. When the Spirit is working in us, and we hear the sweet news of the gospel proclaimed, it is, we see it as a perfect rescue, as life-giving. Like, yes, praise the Lord that God has reconciled me through the blood of his son so that I can be included in his family. But for those without faith, the message is offensive. Again, it's how they hear it. The gospel's not offensive in that sense. They receive it with, with offense. Why do they receive it with offense? Because it tells us that our righteousness is as filthy rags. It tells us that because we have no righteousness of our own, we must rely on a righteousness of someone else. It tells us that our, our sins are far worse than we could even ever imagine. It tells us that our sins, that we are deserving of the wrath of God for all eternity. It tells us that God doesn't judge us on a sliding scale. It's not just the person who can run the fastest that gets away from the bear. It's no we are all guilty. We can't point to someone else as being worse, that we're somehow better. No matter how hard we try, we can never pull ourselves out of this condition into a place of peace with God. Paul, again, is in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. He describes this message of, of the gospel going out and the various ears that it falls on. In verses 14 through 16, he says, But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. 
and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. We are an aroma of Christ as we go out and proclaim the gospel, but there are going to be people who that aroma is a stench to them. There will be a people who are offended by it. And for them, it is a fragrance of death to death. But others, to others, we hear it as the, and we smell it as a fragrance from life to life. So as many of these disciples walked away, they walked away with their bellies full, but not seeing the bread that could give eternal life. They didn't see the value of that. They walked away, and Christ turns to his disciples, the 12 disciples, and he says to them, do you want to go away as well? Do you want to go away as well? Now Christ, as we've seen throughout this passage, he knows, he knows what's on the heart of man, but he turns and he gives his disciples an opportunity to, opportunity to speak up. He says, do you want to go away as well? And Peter, being that spokesman of the disciples, he says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Peter doesn't say, oh, of course not, Lord. We're not going to leave because we understand exactly what you said. It makes good sense to us. He doesn't say that. He says something so much better than simply saying, oh yes, I understand. I have read my systematic theology and I understand exactly what you mean by eating your, eating your flesh and drinking your blood. No, he says, kind of hands up. Lord, to whom, to whom shall we go? I may not understand exactly what you are saying, but I do know that what you are saying are the words of life. They're the words of life and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. We have nowhere else to go. We have nowhere else we would want to go. As I said, this is one of my favorite passages. Oftentimes, you know, you sometimes are asked, what's your favorite passages? And my mind runs to all these various places. But I realize that this is one of my favorite passages because it's one of those passages that most frequently comes to my mind. Because when I am hurting, when I am doubting, I keep coming back to this. Where else can I go? There's been many times in my life, like, I can remember as a, as a specific moment as a teenager, 
just struggling with doubt, struggling with belief. And I remember praying, Lord, if you could just show me a sign. I was laying in my bed and I looked over at this blank wall. Do something on that wall, Lord. Show me a sign that you are real so I can have my faith strengthened. That I can believe. Be careful about having God write things on walls. When he writes things on walls, it's usually a bad message. But that's what I I laid there and asked. And no, I didn't see anything. Praise the Lord I didn't see anything. For multiple reasons. One, that it's not a curse. (laughs) And another, because that's not the picture of faith that we are given. I could see some sign on the wall and it could be the, it's be the same as walking away with my belly full. Like, Lord, thank you. Thank you for giving me a full belly. When I need another sign, I'll come and ring the bell. I'll rub the lamp. I remember in a deep time, in my early 20s, a deep time of struggle against sin. Thinking, okay, I keep falling into the sin. Father, it's funny just praying it. Father, I must not be elect. I couldn't act this way if I was elect. And then I laughed. <laughs> like, here I am praying, Father, and wrestling and weeping over my sin repenting of it. And I I actually said, well, even if I'm not a let God, I know there's no one else to worship, so I'm going to worship you. (laughs) But it's like, obviously, okay, he answered my prayer right then and there as I realized, oh, I must be elect. It's this verse that comes back to my mind time and time again. Where else do I have to go? Where else would I want to go? I don't always understand it. I don't always understand your word. In fact, there's verses in this text that the commentators disagree on. It's got to land on something I'm convinced on. I don't always understand it. I don't always understand what's happening in life when, when I see the death of loved ones, when I see the struggle with sin in my brothers and sisters in the Lord and in myself when I see a nation starving to death, I don't always understand what God is doing. But I also know that I have nowhere else to go to for the words of life than to my heavenly Father. As I was preparing for the sermon and thinking of a illustration I'm not the best at illustrations. But I was thinking, is there, is there something here that I can share? And, and I thought, you know what? We lead every Sunday into the best illustration there is of this. And it's the Lord's Supper. Of anything, this shows us that participation, this 
union that we have with Christ, that we are constantly running to him for the words of life, that I'm going to, to feast on him. Time and time again throughout the, the various theologians who, who wrestle with this passage, they say, Christ, Christ speaks in these words, eat my flesh, drink my blood. And we're not like the Roman church who, then, who says, well, th- these elements actually become the flesh and become the blood. No, that's, that Christ has died once. There is no re-sacrificing of, of Christ. We cannot do that. That is wrong. But we still can't get away from Christ's words, but just to feast on me. You want to be part of me? Feast on me. Enjoy me. Eat me. Ingest me is, I think, a word that came up so many times in the commentaries. Ingest me. The Lord's Supper, it doesn't, it doesn't picture adding a little Jesus to our lives to kind of balance things out. It doesn't picture our relationship with him as being just kind of merely, merely being acquainted with him. Uh, pictures this close, such a closeness to him that we are ingesting him, that we are eating him. We were feasting on him. It, it's an outward picture of, an, of a spiritual reality. We are so united to Christ that we have died with him. He now lives in us. As the picture of the sacrificial lamb, I'm a participant in the once and final sacrifice of my Savior, Jesus Christ. It's as if I laid my hand on him and he took my guilt and went to the cross to suffer and die for my sins. Though separated by thousands of years, that's what it is. This, is. this is what the table is as we touch the elements, as we ingest the elements. And it's telling us, this is how close you are with your Savior. It's reminding me that my life is not my own, but is, but is hidden away in Christ. The, the London Baptist Confession of Faith that we subscribe to. On the chapter on the Lord's Supper, it says this, Worthy receivers, outwardly partaking of the visible elements in this ordinance, do then also inwardly by faith, really and indeed, yet carnally, yet not carnally and corporally, that's talking about the Roman, Romanist view, it doesn't actually become the flesh and blood, but still, really and indeed, yet not carnally and corporally, but spiritually receive and feed upon Christ crucified and all the benefits of his death. The body and blood of Christ being then not corporally or carnally, but spiritually present to the faith of believers in that ordinance. So much so, that's my parenthetical edition, that as the elements themselves are to our outward senses, so much so is what Christ has done for us. 
in our union with him. So, as we head into the Lord's table and you touch the bread and ingest the bread, as you hold the Welch's grape juice, wine, as you hold that and drink it, ingest it, don't just, don't just think, okay, I'm going through the motions. This, if you have come to faith in Jesus Christ, this is a physical reminder to you of what Christ has done for you. You are so united with him that you get to spiritually feast on him. He is yours. We need to wrap up, but... This is the part of the service where we do what we call fencing the table. We usually don't say we're fencing the table, but that's what it is. It's us fencing the table where we say that this is a household meal. This is, this is for those who have saving faith in Jesus Christ. And that fence serves a couple purposes. One is it keeps people in. Another it keeps people out. That's not the most popular thing to say these days. Just like Christ's sermon wouldn't have been seen as very, wasn't very popular when he preached it. And so many people turned and left him. But we don't want you to be confused. Because if you don't have faith in Jesus Christ, we don't want you to take these elements thinking that they somehow save you. They don't save you. As I said, this is an outward picture of something that has happened to those who have come to faith in, in Jesus Christ. It's a family meal that we, we get to enjoy with one another. But for, for those of you who are here who have faith in Jesus Christ, but you still come to this table struggling with assurance, struggling with doubt, struggling with sin, this meal is for you as well. Because we don't come to this meal and say, yes, I am now a worthy participant. I have cleaned my life up enough that I get to come to this meal and enjoy it. No. In fact, Maybe the people who need this the most today are those struggling with assurance, those struggling with doubt, because this meal preaches to you, Christ is worthy. Christ suffered and died and gave his flesh and blood for your food. Eat and enjoy. Taste and see that the Lord is good. There are some warnings about the Lord's table. One, as Paul talks to the Corinthian church, if you're despising your brother, if you have animosity in your heart, let it pass. Deal, deal with your brother. If, if you're looking down on someone, you're bitter, you have bitterness in your heart, if that's not resolved, if you're not, you know, we use the term a lot, struggling with sin. If you're not struggling, 
with that, that's not a good sign. If you're kind of content with that, make that right. Repent. And as I read already in 1 Corinthians 10, Paul giving this warning about thinking that you can live both in both realms. The, the, the obvious picture of his day is people going to the temple and worshiping a false god and then going into the church and participating in the Lord's Supper. He says, you know, you can't do that. You can't participate in both. So again, if you're not struggling with sin, but are wading around in it and splashing around and enjoying it, and then coming in here and thinking, oh, and I'm going to add a little Jesus. No. Repent. That can happen right here now before these elements are passed out, where you repent and enjoy the supper. But if you are sitting here and you're like, no, I am not ready to ingest my Savior. I'm not ready to be a full participant in what he has done for me. I still want to enjoy these things. Let it pass. Come talk to us. We can't participate in both. But again, for those of us who are broken over our sin, who are struggling against it, who in all the weight and burden of our life say, I have nowhere else to run to but to you, Lord. This meal is for you. Enjoy it. Father, as we do come before the Lord's Supper this morning, I pray that you would help us to not be inwardly focused in the sense of looking at ourselves seeing ourselves as either worthy or unworthy, but you would turn our focus to Christ, that we would see that what he has done is finished and his work is so wonderfully applied through, his, through the spirit that we are united, that we died in his death, that the life we now live, we live in Christ that we can partake of this supper and spiritually feast on Christ. For all the doubts that we have, assure our hearts that though we are weak, he is strong. He is our faithful savior. And we get to enjoy all that he has done for us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this audio presentation from Community Bible Church. For more information, please visit us at 6005 Edmondson Pike in Nashville, Tennessee, or online at cbcnashville.org.